Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Hey, Epiphany Brooklyn, it is a privilege to be with you all here at, at in Brooklyn. Driving in here has been great. My name is Lionel King. I'm a teaching pastor at Christ Church in New Jersey. Pastor Brennan asked to step in, asked me to step in and fill in for him to share with you guys. I'm no stranger here. I've been here a few times, and I also I always cherish the opportunity. In fact, uh, he is safely quarantining. They're safe. He and his wife are safe, no health issues, but he had the opportunity to suffer for Jesus in Jamaica and officiate a wedding, just, just having a hardship of allowing the sand to be between his toes as he shared and took part in having people exchange vows. So I know he's suffering for Jesus at that moment, but now he's safely, he's watching right now. And so thank you, Pastor Brandon, for bringing me in. But I, I have a word for you guys that I just want to jump into. I like to pray before I teach. So would you join me in that place right where you are? So, Lord, we thank you for this awesome privilege to share from your word. I ask that you be with each and every viewer. Meet them where they are and let them know you love them deeply. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I, I was talking to a small virtual group that I lead, and I remember having that conversation with them, and I'm saying, hey, uh, guys, you know Christmas is right around the corner. And it was almost like the consensus thought was, it is? And it just reminded me that because of the disequilibrium of 2020 and the topsy-turvy nature of how everything has been, it was like, oh man, I'm ready to get to 2021. I need to start afresh, the proverbial start afresh all over again. And I want to say that's cool, that's understandable. I know it's been tough, but please remember, though you want to get to 2021, let us not miss the gift of Christmas. That's the title of my talk today, The Gift of Christmas. You see, I know 2021 is around the corner, but let's not skip this part. This is very, very much in key. Now, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, beat around the bush or just try to wait to get to this 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 point later. Listen, I'm going to let the cat out the bag early. The gift of Christmas is a person. It's Jesus Christ who came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save you and I. The gift of Christmas is an individual. In fact, 2 Corinthians 9, 15 in the Good News translation puts it like this. Let us thank God for his priceless gift. He's Savior. I love the way one person captured it, and I don't want to misquote it, so I'm going to just read it to you. He said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. 
That's the gift of Christmas. This person. Now, I want to go to a non-traditional passage when you think of Christmas. It's, it's 1 John 1, but he's reflecting on the purpose of Christmas, which is the incarnation, Jesus coming and entering into our context. And so, as he reflects from these first four verses, I want to peel back the gift, if you will, of Christmas and the layers of that gift. Let me read 1 John 1, 1 through 4. You can follow along as well. He says this, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us, verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. So right there, we jump in. He's reflecting on this incarnation that he came. And if I were to peel back the proverbial gift of Christmas, which is Jesus, and I peeled it back a little bit further, what I would find is the gift of his presence. The gift of his presence. You see, interestingly, in this book, John doesn't start off with normal salutations and well wishes and hello and how you doing. He doesn't do any of that. He jumps right into the meat and affirms that, look, I've seen Jesus. I've touched him. I've spent time with him. And now he, he reflects on that. You, you see, one of my seminary professors, Omar Ortiz, would always tell us one of the, diff one of the things that differentiates or, uh, uh, Christianity from any other belief system is that Christianity is the religion of enfleshment. What he would say is, listen, our divine God, our one and only God came to us to save us for us, and that's different. He comes to visit us right where we are. And when he does that now, we find the gift of, of his presence. You might be saying, hey, I'm tuning in because somebody told me, hey, I should celebrate Christmas or I, I like Christmas stories or quote unquote what we hear often. I like to get in the Christmas spirit, so to speak. And so that's why I'm tuning in just to hear something different. And I want to say, yeah, I know. And, and you might say, well, you know, and, and, and I don't know if this God thing is real. I'm just here. And I would challenge you to say, have you really taken the time to look at the historical claims? Maybe you, if you were telling John in the text and you're like, John, I don't know if he's real. John would have said, no, I touched him. I've seen him. I've spent time with him. I did life with him. Listen, and again, post right where we are now, a couple thousand years later, have you spent time to look back and to investigate the claims of Christianity? One person once said, right, you could tell the size of a ship by the waves it leaves. Have you recognized the waves that Jesus has left in time? We actually calculate time with B.C. before Christ and A.D., which is the Latin for Anno Domini, which is the year of the Lord. He's made an impact in time. Look at the size of the waves he leaves. 
Have you ever taken the time to investigate maybe Luke 24, where they capture the Gospels when they find the empty tomb? Luke 24 captures it and says there was three women that found the empty tomb. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. They, they find the empty tomb there, and they're encountered by an angel. Now, they go back to the apostles to say, hey, listen, I know, you know, Jesus, he, he's not there. He's not in the tomb. They had just witnessed his death, his gruesome death and he goes back to the apostles they go back to the apostles and say hey Jesus is not there you may think well how is that evidence for the reality of scripture I would say this in that time a woman's testimony wasn't powerful it wasn't strong so if you were going to falsify a testimony of a missing person in a tomb you wouldn't use women you would use men because that had more credibility but no in Luke they weren't concerned about the credibility they were concerned about capturing accurate information. And so he highlights the three women. And can I say parenthetically that one of the strongest, 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 strongest affirmations of women and the ancient religion came from Christianity right there, just affirming how God used three powerful women to say the tomb is empty. He's risen. Again, I ask you, we get the gift of his presence, the historical presence of Jesus, that he came. Have you investigated Christian claims? And you might be seeing here, and by the way, I, I love the way C.S. Lewis captures this. The great author and writer says, the son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. He captures it. Now, you may say, hey, that's great that the historical Jesus showed up. That was a couple thousand years back. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, maybe you made a couple claims to his impact. But what does that have to do for me in the here and now? What, what does that say in the here and now? You might be listening and saying, man, do you know how much pain I've been through this year? You know how much loss I've experienced? You know how much people I've lost along the way? Opportunities that I thought I was going to have my hands on and they slip right between my fingertips. What does that got to do? H how is it that I, I could see Jesus? in the midst of darkness like this. But isn't that the testimony of Scripture? Isn't that what the author Wendell Berry captures? When he reflects on Jesus coming into this world, he says, it gets darker and darker and Jesus is born. That's what it is, right? In the midst of our darkest times, we can find his trace there, the gift of his presence. I remember spending time with a mom who had just lost her youngest adult daughter. It was tragic. It was unexpected. And when I was sitting with the family, and they had all types of questions. Why would God let this happen? What was going on? How does this happen to my daughter? She'd just given birth a few weeks prior and died randomly in her home. And so the weight of this disappointment were on them. And though they were asking me these philosophical questions, and I had some good philosophical ideas they may be able to ruminate on, but that wasn't going to answer the issue. You see, the issue was none of those philosophical thoughts were going to bring comfort. You know what brought comfort? I don't know why God allowed this to happen. I have no clue. 
But I do know that he's here. That that happened, but not God, why'd you let this happen? But what now? I know he's here. And I know the testimony of scripture is this, that it gets darker and darker and Jesus is born, that it's in the midst of the darkness we can see the almighty comforting presence of Jesus himself. That was the only thing that brought the calm into the room while I'm meeting with this grieving family. Again, I tell you, we're looking at the gift of his presence. And that's what John's reflecting on. But then if we were to peel this gift back a little bit more and we look at the next verse, because one and two really captures, look, he came, he was here. But then we look at verse three and recognize this. He says, if we peeled this gift back a little bit more, we would find the gift of community. The gift of community. In verse 3, he makes it very clear. In 1 John, he says, We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, John, he's making this case. I've proclaimed to you what I've seen and heard. My fellowship is with the Father and the Son. In essence, John is saying, again, I'm revisiting this thought. I've been with them. I've experienced transformation. I've experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for myself. I don't have to go by what someone said. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, I can't speak of a grace that I've yet experienced myself. And then John is saying, yes, exactly. I've experienced it myself. Is there anyone here on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you're watching, that you can write in the comment section with a thumbs up or, yeah, that's me, or an amen to say, listen, I've experienced the goodness of Jesus myself or what the psalmist says right I have tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good myself that's what he's saying and I want you to know though if you're here this is not some exclusive club of individuals again I said earlier and I reiterate that Jesus came to seek and save you and I and I'm talking about the gift of community and the first person or the first individual to be in community with, right, is the triunity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he desires you and I to come into a saving knowledge of him. And so he starts off, listen, I'm telling you what I've seen. I proclaim to you what I've seen and heard, that we're in fellowship with him. And now he makes the case. Now he moves in verse 3, to bridge the gap to say, but I want fellowship, you and I. I want us to be connected. I want to connect heart to heart, mind to mind. Fellowship is, I want to go into your world and you come into my world. And both of us grow and flourish because of it. And this is why Jesus came. This is some of the implications of the gift of Christmas. So this gives me the ability to walk across the room to different socioeconomic backgrounds, diff different demographics, different ethnicities. Why? Because we all have this common denominator that we've come to know Jesus personally. And he's saying, I want to be in fellowship with you. And I'm not saying some lightweight, some goofy kumbaya moment. I'm not saying that, yes, there are differences even amongst believers. Yes, we might have different perspectives, but I am saying there is a higher common denominator because he came. And that common denominator is, have you experienced Jesus for yourself? And if you have, you get grafted into a community of believers. 
And so we get this gift of community. And at the end of the day, I'll make the argument. <laughs> all of us want real, authentic community. On a soul level, we all want it. Just the other day, I was watching an interview that was a year old from an individual by the name of Antonio Fernandez. His street name was King Tone. King Tone was one of the biggest Latin kings during his time and leaders, having over 7,000 followers himself. And I'm not talking about Twitter followers. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about Instagram followers. I'm talking about individuals that will go on his marching orders. He did a 13-year prison bid, spent the first three years of his 13 years in solitary confinement, what they call the hole. I'm talking about this need for community. And he gets moved around a lot so he wouldn't earn his stripes, so to speak, at one particular prison. But they moved him around a lot. But finally, he was based in Ohio. And he was asked in the interview, how was it when you finally on that 13th year, which I believe was 2009, where you were finally released because he's since been reformed and he's no longer practicing gang activity. But they said, how was that for you when you were finally released? He said something that blew my mind. He said, when I was finally released, it was one of the saddest days of my life. You would think, hold up. You just did a 13-year prison bid. You would think, man, you just want freedom. How is, how is this one of the saddest days of your life? You're finally gone. And now he goes in to describe it. And he says, listen, I had my wife waiting for me in the car. And when I was walking out the prison and I look back, I see over 200 inmates clenching the fence, some crying, some cheering me on because I was finally free. And he said it was at that moment when I look back and when he's telling the story, tears are welling up in his eyes. And he said that day, tears were welling up in his eyes. He said, man, I was almost willing to, this is him saying, I was almost willing to give up my freedom to go back to the community that loved me, to go back to those inmates who gave me identity, to go back to where I felt loved. I want you to know that some of us, he was willing to forsake freedom just to be loved in, inside a prison. That's how bad on a soul level we desire community and then he goes on to say he said here was the difference though he reflected on that when he was with people doing 30 40 50 year prison bids some doing life prison bids when they would find out that he was he had a date to be released they he said they filled me with hopes and dreams and telling me hey don't you ever come back here I hope you feel in, in, uh, vibrant and, and do better for yourself he said that gave him that gave him the hope to utilize his freedom different and I would say if I can apply that principle to us spiritually let us as the people of God when I think of the gift of community let us not forsake the gift of community this Christmas right let us fill each other with dreams with scripture with who we are in the gospel when we experience the freedom of God to fill us with saying don't go back I know it's been tough but let go of those vices you pick back up or some of those old habits you might have gotten back into let your community infuse you get logged in get get logged in now maybe in the comments section and just say that's me or or, or get connected with the bible studies you have 
Don't forsake this gift of community. I, I, I will say the same to you. Listen, for me, this is, this is not some type of uh, theory. I, I happened to get saved when I was 18, and it was the gift of community with the Lord's church who taught me how, how to, what it means to be a man because the streets lied to me. They taught me what it meant to be, to be a husband because the streets lied to me. It taught me what it meant to raise my daughter that we just had now that's about to be two years old in a few months. This is the Lord's church teaching me this. Have I been wounded there? Yes. Have I been disappointed there? Yes. But do not forsake the gift of community. I know you're quarantining safely. I know you're doing all that. But listen, jump on that Netflix watch party. Jump on that Zoom call for the Bible study. Jump on that FaceTime to just say, hey, I'm just checking in. Why? Because I just love you. You've been on my mind. I was in my prayer prayer closet. I was reflecting on things. And listen, don't forsake the gift of community. Listen, maintain community even during a quarantine by any means necessary. With the advent of technology, we are without excuse. This is why Jesus came. The gift of his presence. I talked about the historical Jesus. Have you considered some of those truth claims? But then the tangible sense of his presence when we're going through some dark times. But then I said, hey, there's a gift in community as well. He desired to have fellowship with them, koinonia, to be in relationship with them. And I'm saying that's a heart desire, a heart's desire that, that goes nowhere. Even the most introverted of introverts wants meaningful community to some degree. And we unpack that. And my last and final point, right from this text, though, right there, if we would appeal this gift back, not just the gift of his presence and the gift of community, there's the gift of joy. Verse four, we write this to make our joy complete. We write this to make our joy complete. You see, the byproduct, byproduct of embracing God's presence, his gift, Jesus, in his presence, embracing God's community, the byproduct is joy. You see, lasting joy can only go through with the first gift of Christmas, Jesus himself. <laughs> you, can't get, you can't circumvent Jesus and get the joy. It might be fleeting, but I'm talking about that lasting joy can only happen when you get through Jesus first. And then he says, listen, we write this to make our joy complete. Now, let me be clear. He's not saying I don't have joy. This is a pastoral nudging. They're dealing with false teachers and, and, and what it means to love one another, what it means to walk in that. Listen, he's saying, listen, I would love for you from a pastoral concern, from a fatherly concern, from a pillar of the faith concern I would love for you guys to function in truth and walk in love and all that other good stuff he said that'll make my joy complete that will add to my joy but he's not saying he doesn't have joy his joy is not suspended his joy is there why because he's encountered the living Jesus and that's a joy that nobody can take away and John understands that now you might think joy what do you mean joy again we're in 2020 my goodness, and if I'm going to be honest with you, I've gone through hardship in 2020 myself. 
I know what it's like to look at my wife and just tell her, dude, I'm exhausted emotionally. I'm drained. I know what it's like to look at my wife and say, hold on, babe. I'm feeling kind of numb, like emotionally numb because I was just not understanding. I'm, I'm an extrovert of extroverts. Anybody that knows me and I love being around folks. I get recharged when I'm around people and, and my brothers and sisters and conversations. So I've gone through tough times. But listen, here's what I do recognize. According to scripture, my joy can't be limited to the good times it can't and in fact when you take a look or closer look at what scripture says about joy often you found that joy and sorrow are closely connected or joy and hardship even in the same verse they're closely connected which teaches me something about joy and further anchors the fact that it can't be my experiences alone that dictate my joy listen let me read off a couple to you when you see the juxtaposition of joy to hardship psalm 35 says weeping May last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. James 1 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of many kind come our way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Psalm 94 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. And so I want you to see this juxtaposition. So I ask this question Could it be that in order for us to tap into otherworldly joy, is in the midst? of current worldly pain could it be that, that we get to see the beauty of joy in a new light in the midst of some of the darkest times could it be that could it that be the testimony of scripture could Wendell Berry be right it got darker and darker and then Jesus is born. Can we tap into that joy during the most difficult times? I was speaking with a counseling pastor on staff and he said, hey, you know, one of the best ways to tap into joy, even in the most desolate of times is to practice gratitude. And he gave this little tool. Maybe you're watching and you're saying, oh, this sermon's all right. You know, we, we, we kind of say we're trying to preach you happy or preach you excited about the word. But you might say, I need a practical tool. Here's a practical tool, he said. I know many of you are going to send out Merry Christmas to a lot of your friends, or you're going to get that text, Merry Christmas. Some of you, you don't even really, I, I, if you're like me, like, I'm not crazy about the Merry Christmas text and, uh, you know, memes or whatever. Listen, I do it. I love it. Some of you are going to respond back because you feel obligated because they hit you up with the Merry Christmas first. And so you're like, here you go. Here you go. Merry Christmas too. Love you guys. See you later. But <laughs> and I'm not downplaying that. That's cool. Well, listen, if you got my number, please don't hit me with the Merry Christmas text. I'll take your word for it. But listen, that's cool. But here's a little tool. And it was scientifically proven. They said, when you practice gratitude, I want you to reflect on someone you're grateful for in your life that has made an impact on you. And it could be as long or as short as you want. Write that person that's made an impact at any point in your life. It doesn't have to be 2020. It could be at any point. Write them a letter of gratitude and just say, I just want to thank you. It could be short or long, how you feel comfortable, and write it out. But when you write it out, don't just send it to them, whether it's a text, an email, or a piece of paper to mail. He said, why don't you take that writing, call that person, or FaceTime that person, and begin to read how grateful you are for them in your life, in your life and the, the impact they've had. And I know that's kind of bold. But the scientist behind it says, I guarantee it won't just impact you 
personally, which it will. It'll impact them. Both of you can walk away with a greater dose of joy. And if you took a quick Google search of the scientists of practicing gratitude in the midst of hardship, it's one of the quickest ways to kick in and say, Lord, I want to walk in your joy. So do that. That's my homework assignment for you today. Just one person that you can think of, write a letter of gratitude for their impact on your life. And don't just text them it. FaceTime them, call them up. Do whatever you have to do to read that to them and let them respond. When I think of the gift of joy because of Jesus' coming, right, and what he brings when we sing joy to the world and all those songs alike, I'm reflecting on Tim Keller tells this story, the theologian, the pastor, and he tells the story of he and Kathy when they used to live in Philadelphia. And he said, for some reason, in the home that they lived in, the grass was very mucky. It was always very soiled. He said, for some reason, also, when you would go to the basement, it always felt damp or dewy. And they didn't understand why. No matter what they did, they didn't understand why. And so finally, one of their neighbors said, hey, you do realize that underneath all the homes on this block is a subterranean river that flows underneath all the homes on this block. That's why it feels mucky when you walk on the grass. That's why you smell the dew or, or, or it feels damp in your basement because this subterranean river runs underneath your home. In fact, they said even in the midst of drought, the river is still flowing. I need you to understand that that's what joy looks like. Even in the midst of drought, even in the hard times of our culture, even in the desolation of what's going on in the surface of our homes and our lives, that even in the midst of all that, there's a river of living water. There's a Jesus who's present that sit that sits there with you that never left you nor will forsake you that sits there in your present situation know how grim how grimy how messed up how all jacked up things may be Jesus is still present there's still that subterranean river of joy that you could tap into even in hard times and drought and that's the picture of the joy Jesus offers because of this gift of Christmas. And so we learned who's the gift of Christmas? Jesus. We peel back that gift, the gift of his presence, historical Jesus and his presence even in the here and now. We peel back that further, the gift of community. Even during quarantine, by any means necessary, try to stay connected. Connect with the church, connect with the offerings, connect to that midweek that I heard about on unique ways to stay connected during quarantine. And lastly, the gift of joy. It doesn't stop. It doesn't go anywhere. I want to pray. Maybe you're here and you feel like, man, that joy stuff sounds good. That's not my reality right now. I've been going through a hard time. Would you just afford me the opportunity to pray God's comfort over your situation? That God works it out as he promises for his good and for your good, which is his good for you. I want to pray with you right now, right where you are, in your living room, in your kitchen, in your dining room, on the road, wherever you are in your car, I don't know, whether you're viewing this live or later on. I want to pray that God meets you in a real way. Lord Jesus, right where they are, may you enter into that space 
to do some heart work. Many may be here feeling down and discouraged and deflated, but I pray supernaturally that they will encounter your joy like never before. May they remember how good you are. And may we never forget the joy of salvation that you just came to seek and to save each and every one of us. I just pray that each person under the sound of my voice right now would know and be able to testify to the comfort of Jesus during this hardship. And whatever pain, whatever dysfunction that they're bringing to you right now, I pray you order it according to your word for your glory. May you work it out for their good in you. And may we all continue to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Listen, I hope you enjoy your Christmas. And I hope this message was able to anchor you a bit more to appreciate all the aspects of Christmas that we may have overlooked because we're in a rush to get to 2021. I like to end my talks with this blessing at the end that I've learned from one of my mentors. And it's very simple. I like to end it like this and then I'll turn it over to the online host. He says, Lord bless us because if you bless us, then we shall be blessed. Have a Merry Christmas.